But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died Okay, John, we can stop it there. Tom Kearney here on WPTF Radio where it's, uh, let's see, let me look at this, like 9.07. Now, every year, on or about this date, on or about this time, we play that song. That's Don McLean's American Pie. And uh, the tribute at the beginning of it, uh, The Day the Music Died, is what we're going to talk about tonight. If you looked at the schedule that we posted on the website, it said a meditation on uh, on uh, the day the music died. And the day the music died is the day that uh, three of uh, the prominent stars of a uh, recording uh, industry in, in the age of rock and roll was in its infancy. Uh, rock and roll kind of slipped in the door in the mid-50s, and things were really cranking up. Elvis had given it a big push. And the stars were arising, and one of them was a guy named Buddy Holly. And he was, at the time that he he made his entry into the, the Billboard charts and so on, uh, less than 22 years old because he was 22 when he died on February 3rd, 1959, 62 years ago. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I always have a particular feeling for Don McLean's introductory to American Pie and that uh, the, the bit about uh, how he would shiver with every paper he would deliver, because that's almost uh, biographical for yours truly. I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, and I had a paper route, and I was delivering papers, and it was about like it's been around here, i.e. in Raleigh, the last few days, with a little ice, a little snow. And normally I didn't read the newspaper until I had finished delivering them. And that made sure that I would get them delivered, but I happened to notice the picture on the front page, and it was a picture of the wreck of the airplane in which Buddy and uh, uh, his colleagues, uh, J.P. Richardson, and uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the other guy's name, in any, any event, uh, died in Clear Lake, Iowa. And uh, so uh, I sat down on the curb, as he suggested, and, and read the account. And if you're uh, 15 years old and a fan of rock and roll and, and a teenager, and, and uh, well, you get the drift of this. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's part of your community, uh, the teenage community, as we tried to suggest in what we talked about last night, really didn't exist before World War II. And the music of rock and roll didn't exist. The, the roots of it were out there, but they were coming. But uh, when you have a relatively small community, it was not anywhere near as big as it is now, the music community, uh, and three of the prominent stars die in a plane crash that's, that's tragic in, in the way that it happened. Uh, it, it really is a kind of a meaningful experience. So uh, it was autobiographical for me to hear, uh, biographical, autobiographical for me to hear Don McLean uh, talking about the day the music died. It's been labeled that, and uh, so we, we try to have a program every year about this time where we talk about uh, uh, the the life and influence of Buddy Holly and, and uh, 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 
try to bring you some uh, information about that. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Charles Harden, H-A-R-D-I-N, Holly, and when he was born, uh, the birth certificate had H-O-L-L-E-Y. Somewhere along the way in signing contracts and so on, as he moved up in the music industry, the E was dropped, and he was uh, thereafter Buddy Holly. Buddy was his nickname, uh, H-O-L-L-Y. His, his family was in the, in the uh, uh, business of uh, making uh, uh, bathrooms and, and things like that. Uh, uh, and so, uh, but he had the musical brothers who played guitars, and he wanted to imitate them. And so he did imitate them. And as he moved on through high school, he adopted uh, uh, the idea that he would have a music career. He and a friend of his named Bob Montgomery uh, formed a duo and played on the radio, KDAV is the radio station, one of the radio stations in Lubbock, Texas, where Holly was born, and they played country and western music. And uh, that's uh, how things began for, for the guy who got the nickname Buddy and was known, and is known today to us as Buddy Holly. Uh, I know that uh, out in West Texas where Lubbock is, uh, uh, I can remember reading an interview where he said that he and his buddies would go out in the, the fields uh, and turn their cars uh, so that they were directed eastward. There was a, a radio station in Shreveport, Louisiana, that was uh, a 50,000 watt station like WPTF, for instance, and it had a wide signal. And it was the Louisiana form of the station that has the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, KWKH actually uh, was the station. It's the station where the Louisiana Hayride was broadcast and the first place that Elvis Presley ever appeared uh, on, on stage and on the radio. And uh, Buddy was playing country and western music when he was like 16 and 17, but he was interested in other genres. And if we, we talk just a little bit tonight, you'll notice that he is, uh, has large interest and doesn't want to just uh, adopt a particular genre of music and he wants to get into other areas. He wants to reinvent himself, and he, in fact, does that. But uh, one thing that pushed him to reinvent himself the first time was this: these were the days, like in 1954 and 55, when Elvis Presley had not made his big hits yet, but he was touring uh, with, well, he toured with, among other people, Little Richard and, and some other uh, early rock and roll artists. And as they toured the Southwest, they hired Buddy and his band, uh, to open for them, and, and Holly opened for Elvis Presley three or four times in, in towns across Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. And and Elvis became a kind of something to imitate for Buddy Holly, and so he uh, he adopted uh, a movement toward playing rock and roll. This is in like 1955 and 56. The dates here are going to be very tight because he really only had about two and a half years in which he was really a participant uh, in, in the music industry before he, before he died, and that is part of the tragedy. Uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, about Holly that, uh, in addition to his being a performer, whose records I still, uh, still like to listen to, and we're going to listen to several on the program tonight, in case you had not heard them in a long time, and they're still very listenable, but he invented uh, the one of the ideas that has become the modern model, and that is the, the, the tight group with the two guitars, a drum set, and a bass, whether it's an electric bass or a stand-up bass. 
uh, that uh, is the form that a lot of groups adopted. Sometimes they'd have extra guitars, but if you'll notice that other group, the Beatles, that's the form that they adopted, and they were greatly influenced by the music and the way of doing business that Buddy Holly uh, uh, exampled. Uh, he, he wrote most of his songs, he produced them, and he performed them. He, it was an all-in-house, and, and this is for a guy who's in the age that he's doing this, between the age of 20 and 22. And uh, you will notice that when the uh, when John Lennon and Paul McCartney came to name the group that they uh, were the leaders of, uh, they named it, uh, well, Buddy Holly's backup band was called the Crickets and the, the Beatles. Well, you can see the comparison there, and, and that's supposed to be the way that happened. And I saw an interview with uh, McCartney and, and Lennon once, and they said that the three influences on them that were the greatest in their early days were were Chuck Berry and Buddy Holly and uh, uh, a friend named Lonnie Donegan, who was uh, a shiffle singer uh, who sang in the in the nightclubs in Liverpool that the the Beatles were trying to in the early days. They were known as the Quarrymen when they first recorded, and they recorded uh, a song that was a, uh, a cover of a, of a Buddy Holly song written and performed by Buddy Holly and the Crickets. John Sauter is our producer tonight, and I secretly hope he's got a record ready. Have you got that'll be the day ready, John? Can you can you get that set up? It's all set. Uh, Holly had Holly and Bob Montgomery had gone to the movies in 1956, and they saw a movie called The Searchers that John Wayne was in. And throughout the movie, uh, as he's confronted by adversaries and and their what they're going to do to him, John Wayne keeps uttering the remark, "That'll be the day." And so they chose that as the title for for the the first song, and it was the first song that they had. I think they had two or three that were number one, but it was the first one. To, uh, to be number one and was Buddy Holly and the Crickets breakout and we're going to listen to that and after we have a break or some commercials we'll come back and meditate a little bit more on the life and career of Buddy Holly. <laughs> Buddy Holly appeared, I think, three times 
one time he sang the song we've already heard, uh, That'll Be the Day, and, and the other song, uh, uh, Peggy Sue, and I, I'm not sure what the third song was, but he also appeared on the Arthur Murray Dance Party, which uh, was a kind of an interesting thing in itself. All signs, however, that the young guy, still uh, 21, 22, writing his own material, producing it, and, uh, and running the tours and everything, uh, singing, uh, had in fact made it. Uh, and uh, and uh, both of those songs that we've heard were songs that were rendered on the Ed Sullivan Show and, and charted, and uh, I think uh, made uh, number one. We're talking tonight about uh, the life and career of Buddy Holly, who died on uh, February 3rd, the, the date of tomorrow, in 1959. It's the day that's often labeled... Uh, and it is labeled in the Don McLean song, American Pie, as the day that the music died. The three uh, stars uh, uh, that had made a good beginning and uh, were a part of the rock and roll community, which was not as big as it is now. It was in, in its early stages, uh, had their careers take off, and they were involved in something called the Winter Dance Tour. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. But that they were... Uh, uh, killed in a plane crash near Clear Lake, Iowa, after a show uh, on uh, on the night between February second tonight and February third. At about uh, the plane crash, probably at about uh, 1 a.m. Central Time, about 2 a.m. Uh, uh, Eastern Time, and uh, was not in fact discovered until the next day. But we'll talk about that because that's a part of the tragedy and the contention involved in the day that the music died. If you're a Buddy Holly fan, I forgot to mention this, and you want to make a contribution if you want to testify, if you were a fan particularly at the, uh, contemporaneous with uh, his career or have been over a long time. I know we have at least one WPTF listener or a Tom Kearney show listener who uh, I, I think if he doesn't listen to any other show each year, he listens to the show that we do the meditation on the uh, life and career of Buddy Holly. And we've been doing this, I would say, about 20 years now. And uh, it's a, a, a worthy worthy thing to remember because Holly had not only made a contribution and was an entertainer in his own right, but he made a, in his influence on a lot of other other uh, people involved in the music industry. Yeah. The, the tour, uh, the, the, the uh, tour that he and his band were on, and he had had to reconstitute his band because the crickets uh, were not as interested in going up the ladder as he was. That is the ladder of success. He wanted to move to New York and and record in other kind of other other music genres. And uh, he, he actually signed up for classes at uh, the Strasbourg Drama uh, Organization. So thinking that he might become an actor, he had uh, gone to a, a, a an office in New York to talk to some people in the recording industry, and the receptionist was uh, the woman that he uh, asked for a date that day, and they had a date, uh, I think, the next night, and he proposed to her on that night, and within a couple of months they were married. And uh, when Don McLean sings about his widowed bride, his widowed bride was, in fact, expecting at the time that he died and had miscarried, and she is still alive, I think, as a matter of fact, but has never remarried. She's the defender of the legacy of, uh, along with uh, Paul McCartney, of the legacy of, of Buddy Holly. And uh, uh, the uh, the tour that we were talking about,
talking about uh, uh, was necessary because there were a lot of uh, problems between uh, Buddy Holly and his manager, a man named Norman Petty, who worked out of Clovis, New Mexico, and had a recording studio there. And some of the early songs that were recorded by Buddy Holly and the Crickets were recorded at his studio, but there, he apparently was a little shifty with the money and also insisted in many cases on his name being appended to the songs that uh, Buddy Holly wrote so that it was a composition of Buddy Holly and Norman Petty. In any event, uh, he'd run out of money, Buddy Holly had, and so he signed up for what was called the Winter Dance Tour, uh, and it was across uh, a good part of the upper Midwest, actually Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Iowa. And in making the tour, they had... uh, Sort of like it was like somebody said throwing darts at a board. It was not worked out so that they, you know, did one night and then moved down the road 50 miles and did a, another. They crisscrossed across whole states uh, on the the night that Buddy Holly hired the airplane to fly him and his band members to Moorhead, Minnesota. The trip was going to be about 400 miles in an unheated bus, and he'd already lost his drummer, Holly had a guy named Carl Bunch, who had. Uh, well, he'd suffered from frostbite on his on his feet because the bus was cold and the buses kept breaking down. Not a well-prepared tour, and Holly was involved in it only, I think, because he simply needed the money. His other funds were tied up, and he could not get at them at the time. Another part of what makes this really tragic is that the money was there, but the, the people, other people controlled the money, and he could not get at it at the time that uh, this was all taking place. And this was in uh, the month of uh, January uh, in, in 1959. Uh, on the uh, well, we'll talk. We we will talk about uh, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the airplane trip. Uh, they appeared on the the night of uh, February 2nd uh, at uh, the Surf Ballroom, which was an entertainment facility in Clear Lake, Iowa, in in rural Iowa, uh, and it, it was a a uh, drop-in at that particular venue. It was not on the original schedule, but it was, again, a chance to make some money. And on the tour with uh, with Holly and uh, the Crickets were the Everly Brothers and uh, also uh, Dion DiMucci of Dion and the Belmonts, the guy who later did Abraham, Martin, and John. And I mention that because when Holly, uh, after the appearance at the surf ballroom, was tired, he was cold, uh, his clothes were dirty, he wanted to wash some laundry, and that's what uh, led him to hire an airplane from a local flying service, a Beechcraft uh, airplane that would carry four passengers, and that is uh, where what led to the ultimate plane crash. It is time now, we're talking about Buddy Holly and, and the day the music died, but it's time for us to pause and check the news. You don't know what you've been missing, oh boy, oh boy, when you're with me, oh boy. WPTF, Tom Kearney here. We're doing a meditation tonight on the life and career of Buddy Holly, who was killed in a plane crash on the early morning of February 3rd in 1959, what has been labeled as the day the music died, because he died with a couple of young and, well, relatively young, uh, 
young and rising uh, members of the rock and roll genre. Uh, Richie Valens, uh, uh, he recorded with the songs I know are Donna and La Bamba. In fact, a movie about his life has been made called La Bamba. And a man who was a disc jockey but who had done his own song, J.P. Richardson, otherwise known to the rock and roll community now, then and now as the Big Bopper. And the song that uh, that he recorded that uh, most remember is a, a song called Chantilly Lace. Uh, maybe if we have time tonight, we'll end up playing that. Uh, but uh, most people who were alive, as I was then, I was, uh, I think, uh, 15. I was a sophomore in high school, I believe. Remember all those songs and were uh, confronted by the tragedy of uh, these people who were uh, just... Uh, beginning in the music industry in a, in a genre that was just sort of getting off the ground itself, uh, being led by uh, the, the career of Elvis Presley. And Buddy Holly had, uh, would, in a, a short couple of years, uh, create the model for the, uh, the, uh, the the musical setup that would be for most uh, recording groups, and that is a couple of guitars, uh, a, a bass, either electric or stand-up, and, and a a drum kit, the the one that, for instance, the Beatles, who were imitating the the uh, the crickets, uh, Buddy Holly and the crickets, and the song you just heard, Buddy Holly and the crickets, oh boy, was one of the songs that uh, I, I discovered. It was one of the songs that they sang on the Ed Sullivan Show when they appeared on it in 1956 and 1957. Uh, only two years. In fact, most of Buddy Holly's. Uh, Records that were released that were very successful were released between August 1956 and uh, 57 rather, and August 1958, and uh, and uh, uh, after that time he and the Crickets pretty much broke up, and he moved to New York to try to get involved in, in other kinds of endeavors, and uh, and uh, I had told you the story of his meeting, uh, proposing to and marrying Marie Elena, his wife, who. Uh, Survived him and became the defender of the of the Holly uh, 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 image and uh, the the widowed bride that uh, uh, Don McLean speaks of in the opening to American Pie and the opening that refers to the day that the music died. We've told you a little bit about the reason that uh, Buddy Holly was on the trip uh, at uh, uh, on the tour uh, and. Uh, and it was because he needed money, and otherwise he would not have been, and that makes it even more tragic in, in, in that uh, he would probably just assume, well, I'm sure he'd just assume not have been there on the trip, and he had rented a, an airplane uh, to uh, fly to Moorhead, Minnesota from Clear Lake, Iowa. Clear Lake is in the northeastern corner of Iowa, and it would be, be flying essentially across uh, a little bit of Iowa and uh, uh, Minnesota to Moorhead, uh, Minnesota, which is near Fargo, North Dakota, I believe, if I remember correctly. But in any event, he, the, the, he and his band members uh, had uh, been traveling on a bus, and they'd already lost their drummer, a guy named Carl Bunch. Uh, uh, to uh, He was in the hospital, literally, with frostbite. The other two members of a reconstituted backup band, because the crickets had split off and they existed separately from Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly was pursuing a solo career. He had to construct a band, and uh, he, he found a guitar player who he liked, uh, a man named Tommy Alsop, and the other member of the, of 
backup was the bass player because Holly played lead guitar, and it was a guy who would uh, uh, who would become uh, who would become famous uh, in, in his own right in, in his later career. We'll come back to that in in a moment because they're involved in the, the question of uh, who's going to fly on the airplane because that it was not just a simple matter of getting on the plane and flying, but who was going to get which seat and, and that sort of thing. Um, in any event, uh, we're meditating tonight on the life and career of Buddy Holly because it's on, well, we're not quite to the point that it would be exactly 62 years. Uh, uh, I think they boarded the plane between 12.30 and 1 Central Time, which would be 1.30 and 2 Eastern Time, and the plane crashed about 2 a.m. our time, about 1 a.m. their time, although uh, it was not actually discovered until the next morning. The man who owned the flying service and saw the young pilot, Roger Peterson, fly the plane off, uh, saw the tail lights of the plane going down, but uh, it could have been just, you know, his thought was it going over the horizon, but there was they lost uh, radio contact at that point, and they were not able to raise the plane, so the first thing when light came is that Peterson and others went out driving in the neighborhood in the direct that the, the plane took, and it was not very far from where it had taken off. And the feeling, well, there's been much, much discussion about why the plane went down. Was it a failure of, of, the, of the mechanics, a failure of the airplane, or a failure of the human element? And I think generally the conception is now that Peterson, the pilot, who was just 21 years old, had not flown he had flown a lot of daytime hours, but he had not flown a lot of uh, hours where he would be flying by instruments. And uh, so that uh, uh, he he may have made some misjudgments, particularly with regard to the horizon finder, uh, which helps the, the pilot, when he cannot see the horizon, keep the plane uh, even with the horizon, and that he might have been flying down when he thought he was flying up and and. Uh, and the plane is thought to have hit the ground sort of wide open at about 170, 180 miles per hour, and all three members were killed. All three members of Holly and his, his two colleagues were killed, and the, the pilot, Peterson, was killed. He remained, Peterson remained in the plane. Holly, the big bopper, and Richie Valens were thrown clear of the, of the plane. And that's the, it was the picture of the wreckage of that airplane having hit the ground and slid across the, the flat land of the, the farmland, which was covered with snow, uh, up against the fence that I saw in the newspaper when I sat down at the beginning of my newspaper out on the, the morning and uh, the day on which they had found the plane and, uh, and became aware that three stars of rock and roll and uh, had, had passed away. I started earlier mentioning if you have a contribution you want to make or a comment you want to make. If you were a particular fan, if you want to testify on behalf of Buddy Holly, I, I, I liked Buddy Holly. And, and and as I studied Buddy Holly, I realized the significance of, of what he had done and that it had not been brought forward, as, as indeed I'm trying to do in a, in a very small way tonight in this meditation on the life and career. Only two years and uh, such a great influence because many of... Uh, the uh, uh, acts that would follow in the, in the, in the groups and so on. Uh, uh, one of the people who saw Holly when his band 
I was on tour in England was Mick Jagger, who was uh, part of the Rolling Stones. They actually went to a theater in Woolwich in England to see Buddy Holly, and they covered one of the Holly tunes, one of the ones that Holly had written himself called Not Fade Away. I think it was their first charting tune in 1964 for the Rolling Stones. Uh, Bob Dylan, who lived in Minnesota, he he uh, was not called Bob Dylan then, uh, had uh, gone to uh, one of the venues on the tour, uh, the the Western uh, uh, dance tour, the winter dance tour, rather, I'm sorry, uh, at Duluth. And uh, he later, uh, in an interview, said that he had uh, came very close to physically to, to Holly, and Holly looked at him and, and uh he had a, some good vibrations, I think, is what we would we'd say that today. But uh, and if anybody has had a large influence on American music, it has been get it Nobel Prize winner Bob Bob Dylan uh, along the way. And so, uh, but just getting started was Buddy Holly, and uh, uh, it's a real tragedy that the Beechcraft airplane went down, uh, and you can imagine that full. In the investigations were made in and, and the effort to try to discover why the plane had crashed, and that's where the deductions that I gave you have actually come from. Uh, John, I'm not sure if you've got uh, the next recording up, but have you got every day up uh, ready for us now? If you have, why don't we play it and do our break out of it, and then we'll come back, okay? Every day it's getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Cadillac. I try to show it when you're driving me back. Your love for me got to be real. Buddy Holly. Oh, you didn't know just how I released about 10 songs that charted between August of 1957 and August of 1958. And then he was off to New York, and in November of 1958, uh, just a little bit before he went on tour, the, the winter dance tour that uh, resulted in his taking the plane and dying with Richie Valens and J.P. Richardson, uh, began after Christmas. Uh, Buddy Holly songs, I think, between August of 57 and August of 58 uh, that, that charted and uh, uh, on the way. Uh, and uh, just, well, in September of the 58, he was 22 years old, and, and that was the, his age in terms of years when he, when he passed away. One thing that we have not looked at tonight is always fascinating and interesting to people contemplating uh, the end, the death of uh, Richie Valens and the Big Bopper and Buddy Holly is that Buddy had purchased uh, four seats on the plane to be piloted by the young pilot Roger Peterson for a hundred and I think a hundred and eight dollars, and he was going to take one of the seats. Uh, and uh, Waylon Jennings uh, was the guy I mentioned earlier who would become famous later, but he was uh, playing uh, 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 sessions and. Uh, working at a radio station in, in Texas, and Buddy Holly had hired him to play bass, and the, the guitarist was a, a man named Tommy Alsop, who Holly liked, and who only passed away just a year ago. Uh, and uh, But both of them were involved in the, the, 
question of who was going to ride on the plane, and ultimately, of course, they didn't know it, who was going to survive. Uh, J.P. Richardson had, had had the flu, the big bopper had, during most of the tour, and the coldness and the, the bad weather had not helped that very much. So he appealed uh, to uh, Waylon Jennings to let him take his seat. Uh, uh, Holly was looking out for his band members and uh, had bought seats for them, but Jennings agreed to let uh, J.P. Richardson, the big popper, ride on the plane, and of course we know how that turns out. Uh, Richie Valance wanted to uh, to go on the, on the plane ride, too, even though uh, I'm led to believe that he really didn't like airplanes, but uh, he wanted to go, and Tommy Alsop had told him several times that he was really not interested in, in not going. He wanted to, to go on, on the plane with Holly and himself get to uh, Moorhead, Minnesota. But eventually, and in an interview I heard with him, he said he didn't realize, didn't know why he had decided to change, but he changed his mind. And one time when Valance said, uh, can't you let me take your place? He said, we'll flip for it. And so he reached in his pocket, apparently, and there was a 50-cent piece and uh, flipped the coin and uh, and uh, uh, lost. Tommy Ossip lost. But as we know from the results of all this, he, he actually won. Uh, and so he rode on the plane. Uh, Dion DiMucci, as I think I told you earlier, had decided not to ride. He had been offered a seat, but he, uh, the amount that it would have cost him was more than his parents paid for their rent, and he felt a little guilty about it for the rent of their apartment in New York. And uh, uh, so he uh, didn't go. And so uh, they were all they were the ones who got on the airplane, uh, the Beechcraft plane, and took off. At around uh, 11, or rather 12.45, it was on the morning of February 3rd, 1959, 62 years ago. We're going to leave now with the, uh, the uh, one of the Buddy Holly songs in a more easy mood that he recorded at the toward the end of his career. Sometimes we'll sometimes we'll cry. And we'll know why just you and I know true. 